We're in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 18 and 19, if you'd like to join us in your Bible. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what should I compare it? It is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in the garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nest in its branches. Let us hear where the Holy Spirit leads on this day. You may be seated. Today we are back in Luke 13. As you might remember, last week we talked about the fig tree that wouldn't produce food, fruit, and I, um, in the devotion, talked a lot about manure. So we're back in the garden this week, and because um, even though in Luke it describes the mustard seed growing into a tree, in the other Gospels, it talks about the mustard seed being a shrub. And um, I've already confessed on a previous sermon that I'm a Monty Python fan. And holy grail, they say shrubbery. And so all week I was wandering around in the halls of the church going shrubbery, shrubbery. Which I'm sure nobody enjoyed but me. <laughs> so, but so this phrase, shrubbery, has been in my head as I thought about this strange thing that a mustard seed uh, could become a tree. We find this story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and even in the Gospel of Thomas, and it translates about this mustard seed. Now, in Thomas, it says it grows into a branch. In Matthew, it uses the language of Mark, um, that it's a shrub, it grows into a shrub. But in Matthew, he, he says it's a shrub that becomes a tree, which made me think about what kind of shrubs become trees. And in my yard, I have crepe myrtles. Crepe myrtles are shrubs that become trees. And so my, the previous owner of our property, for some reason, thought it was a good idea to divide our backyard into two sections, and it's not that big, and, but she divided it by planting a whole row of crepe myrtles. And they're in various stages of neglect. And uh, my son left home to be a grown-up, and I've been left to trim the crepe myrtles by myself, and it doesn't get done as often as it should. Um, but I have some pictures from my backyard of these shrubs and trees in their various states. Um, hopefully we'll get to see them. Okay, this one is what a crepe myrtle looks like if it's neglected and untended, right? It's just a shrub of sticks coming out of the yard or coming out of the ground. And we all know it will bloom and have beautiful flowers on it sometime in late July. But then those shrubs that have been trimmed and over the years have been cut back over and over again become a little bit more. This is my best example. And I know there's better ones in Tulsa because I've seen them. But if you're in my backyard, this is the best thing I have that looks like a tree that was a shrub that is a crepe myrtle. And when they're in bloom for that whole two weeks, I love them, and the rest of the year, I don't so much. But I wanted to give you this example 
And because one, one year, John and I bought a home that had the original owner had built the home and it was on like a, a half an acre. So we did a lot of mowing, but they had this neglected crepe myrtle that no one had tended that was more, I'm six feet tall, so my wingspan is six feet. It was more than six feet in diameter and it was between 20 and 22 feet high, just giant sticks coming out of the ground. When I thought about, could a bird make a nest in that, it wasn't really possible. There just weren't enough of the places where the bird could make a nest. We called the OSU Master Gardeners, and they told us to cut that baby at six feet tall. And, uh, and one of the things that happened when it had grown so big is it failed to produce flowers anymore. So in its giantness, it was not doing the thing it was intended to do, which was to produce these beautiful flowers. And so I've been thinking about these things all week as I prepared for my sermon. And this whole idea that Mark says that what we get from the mustard seed is a shrub. Matthew says a shrub and a tree. And then we get to Luke. And Luke says, it's a tree, and that means something in our heads. And so I wanted to look at the other things that Luke talks about or does with this particular story that's unique to Luke. The first one is, he never talks about the mustard seed being tiny. And all the other versions of the parable tell us how small the mustard seed is. But for Luke, that's not important for some reason. He completely discards the idea that it's tiny or that that matters. And one of the things we find in Luke that we don't get in any of the other Gospels is this incredible healing story that's right before this mustard seed parable about this woman who's been bent over for 18 years, and Jesus heals her. So one of the things that I learned in seminary is you always look at what comes right before the story and after the story because those things matter. And so only in Luke do we get this incredible healing story of this woman that, that I would say gets overlooked a lot. Um, is it hard to see because she's bent over? Also in Luke, we get the, we're, there is no shrubbery in Luke whatsoever. It is just a tree, and that's all there is to it. And then Luke and Matthew follow this parable with a parable of the woman who puts the yeast in the flour. The leavening is the biblical term for it. And so we get the story of this woman who takes this sort of alien item and mixes it in with the flour, and guess what? It changes everything. So these are the things that are unique about the Gospel of Luke and this, this parable that is only two verses long. One of the things that all of the versions of this parable have in common is why it's being told. When the question is, what is the kingdom of God? So all of the Gospels recognize that this story is being told to teach us about the kingdom of God. In fact, I was looking at just how many times the kingdom of God is mentioned in the Gospels. 
So I don't know if you guys have discovered Bible Gateway, but it's awesome. You just type in a word you're looking for in the Bible. It gives you every scripture in the entire Bible, the Catholic Bible, the Apocrypha. It's all included there. But if we stick with just the Protestant Bible and we put in the kingdom of God, Matthew, Mark, and John use that phrase 21 times. Now that seems like a lot, 21 times. But if you compare it to Luke, just one gospel, the gospel of Luke, he includes this phrase 32 times, which made me think maybe you could argue that the kingdom of God might be the entire theme of the book of Luke, right? Because he uses that phrase over and over and over again. Matter of fact, in chapter four, Jesus actually says, um, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. We often consider the good news to be the story of Jesus' death and resurrection, right? When we hear what is the good news, but none of that has happened yet. Yet Jesus is proclaiming, I have come to share the good news of the kingdom of God. This is what the good news is, according to Jesus in chapter four. And then I wanted to um, look at what is Jesus referring to when he tells these stories? Because one of the things that we know about Jesus is he knew his scriptures, right? He spent a lot of time in the temple. He would often quote them and then say, but I say at the end. And so I found in Daniel and Ezekiel these beautiful references to trees that house birds, just like this two-sentence parable that we get from Jesus. And so I want you to look with me at Daniel chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. And it reads like this. Upon my bed, this is what I saw. There was a tree at the center of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew great and strong. Its top reached to the heaven, and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, its fruit abundant, and it provided food for all. The animals of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the air nested in its branches." And from it, all living beings were fed. Isn't this beautiful? Now, we know from the very first line here that this is a vision or a dream of a tree. It doesn't exist. That is a tree that touches the heavens. Now, if you've ever been to the Redwood Forest, it feels like those trees touch the heavens. But this tree in the dream is also visible from the entire earth. Everyone can see this tree. And then it provides sustenance and shelter for all the creatures of the earth. So if we look at Ezekiel, another scripture that Jesus would have been familiar with, chapter 17, verse 23, it says this, On the mountain height of Israel I will plant it, in order that it may produce bows and bear fruit and become a noble cedar. Under it, every kind of bird will live, in the shade of its branches will nest winged creatures of every kind. Again, in the Hebrew Bible, 
we get this image of the kingdom of God as a tree that provides shelter and sustenance for all of the winged creatures or the birds of the air. Now, one of the things that we know about the Gospel of Luke is that it is always pushing boundaries. Luke always extends the good news not to just the Jewish community, but also to the Gentiles and the unclean and those people on the outside. And so there are other phrases that we find in the Gospel of Luke that also describe the kingdom of God. And so I wanted to kind of go through those because they are very sort of countercultural. Now, there are multiple texts, I can't even tell you all of them, that are about simply saying the good news about the kingdom of God, or Jesus saying, I bring you good news about the kingdom of God. In addition, we get from chapter 6, verse 20, blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And then in chapter 9, verse 62, we get this lovely image, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. Now, anybody who's seen a plow knows you cannot plow while you look backwards. You can't see where you're going and you go all kinds of directions you shouldn't. And then another one, the kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed from chapter 17. So this kingdom of God is something more than just a thing we can look at. It's not an icon or a statue or any of those kinds of things. And then in chapter 13, right after our story for today of the mustard seed, we get the, the kingdom of God is like a woman who puts the yeast in the flour. And then one of our favorite scriptures is from chapter 18 when we get the conversation with Jesus where he references the children. And he says, let the children come to me and do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. And then he goes on to say in verse 17, truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. Huh. To receive the kingdom as a child, to me that brings this sense of wonder that we have when we're young that we often lose as we age. A joy and a resilience that we have as children that is amazing. That often when we look at it, we miss being that way ourselves. And then the last one is from chapter 18, verse 24 how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. We could argue that this parable is simply one of remarkable growth. We certainly have been trained to think of it that way. How many times have we heard, have faith like a mustard seed, small, but with the possibility for something huge, that this concept that a mustard seed could get big enough to house all of the birds is ludicrous. And over the years, people have cultivated mustard plants into trees, but if we think of the mustard seed in the time of Jesus, that doesn't work. 
We have to reconsider this accepted understanding of the parable. You see, mustard was a weed. And none of us at our best or worst gardeners would intentionally plant a weed in the middle of our garden. And if you look at the rules from Judaism about gardening, you would never put two different kinds of seeds in the same plot or the same garden. It is not done. The very sentence, it is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in the garden is ludicrous. No one would intentionally put a tree to house all the birds in their garden. Have you ever seen a scarecrow? They exist because people want to keep out the birds. The birds eat the fruit. They eat the seeds. They destroy the garden. This whole idea of planting a weed that you would nurture into a tree is ridiculous. Which makes us ask the question, why? Why would Jesus tell this story? What could he have been trying to get them to understand? It could be simple. It could be that the seed is so small that it could become something remarkable. We've certainly heard people extol the virtues of that little tiny mustard seed. Maybe he wants us to see that growth is not limited by the size of what something is. Or maybe Jesus wants us to realize that human perception of what can be is limited as well. Or maybe he's encouraging the people that are following him around that this kind of ragtag bunch of leaders have the potential to be something incredible. Or what if Jesus is asking them and us to consider that some things have value outside of what we typically give them? This weed mustard seed planted in the garden would have not had any value and it would not have been welcome. Luke often does this by turning our expectations upside down. Maybe he's telling us to look again at the people in our lives who've been culturally devalued and we do not see their potential. Much like the bent woman and that story that comes right before this parable. I think that story brought together with the gospel, or not the gospel, the parable, makes us have to ask this question. Who are the people that we no longer see, that we forget to welcome? Who are the members of our church and our community that could bless us if we would only give them our time but then again, maybe Jesus tells his parable because the strange mustard tree welcomes the birds and the unwelcome into the garden. Maybe we're actually being asked to find shelter and sustenance and maybe even food. Maybe we are to value the discarded or those we run off because they're a nuisance. Maybe the kingdom of God is a place where even those considered unlovable are allowed to thrive. 
If we look at the list of the ways that Luke describes the kingdom, it is the poor, the children, and that woman who dares to try something new. They are the ones that represent the kingdom of God. And those who are always looking backward and who are typically valued for their wealth are the ones who will struggle to get it, to understand the kingdom of God. Jesus and the Jewish people around him, they knew the stories from Daniel and Ezekiel. They knew that this is, it's called a Lebanon cedar. This, in their minds, would have been the type of tree that would have been a great tree for them. But this ludicrous understanding of the mustard seed, even in Jerusalem and that region, would have actually been this messy thicket if it had been allowed that looks like this. It's a hot mess of mustard, right? It isn't beautiful. And yes, I think there probably are some creatures of the earth and even birds who found a way to thrive in that mess. It provides sustenance and shelter, but Jesus takes this image of the cedar that touches the heavens and he brings it down to the earth. He humbles this understanding of the kingdom of God much like a manger in a village that no one has heard of with a shepherd who has no sheep. So I invite you to consider this new kind of garden, one that welcomes weeds and birds and children and the unclean and women and the poor and dare I say, people just like us. Where are you missing a blessing because you failed to see what is possible? Amen.